Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We are hosting the second episode of our guest podcast, which is written and produced by Amy Craig. The podcast is called Who Died? And today's interview is really interesting. So I hope you'll listen in. And thanks for joining us. I don't know. But I want what I do want. I want people to know that it's okay to be sad for as long as you want to be sad, even if you're sad forever. Because a, a whole human is missing from your life. Um, you know, a whole person that you don't talk to, that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't do anything. A whole person is missing. And in the course of your life, it's, that's a lot. Like, how many people do you actually love in the course of your life? And then for one of them to be taken away from you, it's just... Of course you want to think about them and talk about them. And this is exactly that. A space to think about and talk about our dead loved ones. This is the Who Died podcast and I'm Amy Craig. A few weeks before Halloween, I had the privilege of talking to Carol Collymore about her mom, Julia. Her name was Julia Eleonora Blades Collymore was her whole name. I had this feeling of my mom, like, pass through me in this really weird way. I was in the card aisle, and the feeling said, um, don't forget to send your friends cards. Random, but okay. And so I bought a bunch of Valentines and brought them home. And then maybe an hour later, my dad called and said, oh, you know, your mom's in the hospital. Don't worry. She just wasn't feeling well. And so now she's here and they think something's wrong with her liver. But don't worry. Very Leo Collymore calm. So I hang up with him and I call her. I call her cell phone and it's off. And then so then I call my cousin Vern and I'm like, this is what's happening. She starts Googling. And then she says, wait, we shouldn't be Googling. Let's just calm down. Let me try to call her. So she tries to call and, you know, phone's not on. And so we just agree that we are going to not worry because Leo will tell us if we need to worry. He has told us not to. So we're just not going to worry. Did they tell you much about what brought them together? Oh, my God. So... My, so my mom, my mom was a plus size lady, which we all know in the Americas is not necessarily the most popular shape to be. Um, but anyway, so they, so my parents are Panamanian. That's where they were. And my mom, uh, always took care of her, of all of her brothers and sisters. And she always just said, well, that's, you know, that's why I'm, I'm a heavier woman. Cause I had to take care of everybody and, and I ate all the food cause I cooked it. Hysterical. Anyways, um, they were at a wedding of a mutual friend of theirs and they'd never met each other but he met her and she was with her girlfriends and 
he wanted to go out with her and she didn't believe him because she was with her friend. I don't know. I guess what we would call today the hot friend. And she was like, I was convinced that he liked my friend and not me and that he was calling me because he wanted her number. And I wasn't he she was not going to be a party to that. She was like, nope. But apparently he called her for like six months and was like, please go out with me. And then she finally went out with him and was like, oh, you do like me. But she really thought that it wasn't her, that it was her friend, which I thought was really cute. And that also reminds me of, like, how I see myself. Like, I see myself probably in a lot of the ways that she sees herself, which is, like, I'm the fun friend, but nobody really likes me. But it's like, no, no. Everybody really likes you, lady. And he really liked you, and he called you for six months. And I can't imagine calling somebody's home phone (laughs) for six months. They moved to the States when I was almost two years old. My sister came around maybe two years after they had gotten married, and then I was another seven years after that. So we moved to Albuquerque in 1980. Yeah. And uh, my mom's sister, my aunt, um, who's also dead, and her husband, my uncle, who was also dead, um, moved to Albuquerque a couple years before, and my mom wanted to be close to them. So we were just two or three box blocks away from them their house was a few blocks down from ours and so we all you know had our little Panamanian family together it was great you know my sister obviously I have a sister um and then my two cousins Vern and Jamal were down the street and so I was the youngest of the four of them so it was just three fabulous older kids that I loved and annoyed a lot because I was a lot younger than them but um I couldn't imagine not having them. Just people who understood. People understood why our moms talk so loud and heavily accented, you know? <laughs> like, that was a thing. And um, it just felt like having extra siblings, honestly. I feel like I have extra siblings, and it was nice. And and I felt like I had two moms, which was great, because um, I was really, really close to my aunt. Actually, she... She's part of the reason I moved to Portland, because she moved to Portland two years before I did. Um, My aunt was much more, um, she was like, you know, skinny and sporty and vivacious and beautiful. And um, like the two of them together were like the sisters you always wanted, like that you think how sisters behave. You know, they're really close. They talk to each other every day. Um, they take care of each other's kids, you know, they, they do the closed door chats, they did the whole thing. And so, um, yeah, they were just, they were great. They were, they were great. And it was really hard when my aunt was dying because it was just like, what is happening? You know, I was 28 and I just didn't, I just didn't, I was like, I don't know what's happening. Watching my mom go through that loss of her sister was just, I I think everybody has the moment where you're like, oh, my parents are humans. And my mom was so incredibly human because she couldn't help me. She, like, I was like, oh, my mom's coming. She's going to help. Nope, she can't because her sister is dying. And what can she do, you know, except for just be horribly sad that her sister is dying. And, you know, death, cancers, and long-term illnesses are just not, there's no beautiful death in that. So it's just hard to watch and hard to be around. And, mm-hmm. you know, my aunt was kind of stubborn. So that was, you know, <laughs> it's just like everything is hard. 
And I re- I regret, I don't regret very many things, but I regret being mad at my mom for being mad. Because I'm like, I need you to snap out of it because I need help. And she couldn't. And I, sh- and I, but I couldn't appreciate it because I was 28. And I was like, ugh. I know my mom, when my aunt died and when my grandma died, went through a purge of the house. And she just started giving stuff away. And she's like, I don't want any of this when I die. And she started using the Thanksgiving dishes for regular dishes. Like, right, the china. It, it became everyday, everyday dishes. She started giving me her jewelry. And when my cousin Vern and I would come home for holidays, she'd, like, sit us on the bed and, like, here's the jewelry. Pick what you want. Okay. So I started, like, picking stuff. And she was just really, you know, didn't want to hold on to things anymore. And, I, and I'm, I don't know if that's part of loss. I'm not sure. Do you have anything either that she gave you then or that you have of hers now that's extra special to you or that you're happy to have? I have, I mean, so when I turned 18, she started to give me garnet rings. So I have a ring from 18 to 35 because I, uh, she died a week after I turned 35. So I have all these beautiful rings that I wear all the time that people love. And I'm like, yes, my mom's rings. Um, and so I love to wear those. I wear them. I find myself wearing them. I wear them all the time. I wear them every day. It depends how I feel. One of them is on me usually. Um, but like when I fly, I make sure that I'm wearing one or two of them. Or when I have a big interview, I'm wearing one or two of them. I have a, a she gave me a locket that is a watch that I, um, I remembered her wearing when she was, when I was little, when I was like five or six, I remember her wearing this necklace and I called her one day and I said, do you still have that watch necklace? I haven't seen you wear it in like 10 or 15 years. She's like, oh yeah, yeah. She had it cleaned and she sent it to me. I wear that a lot. Like that feels most like Julia Collymore to me is this like statement locket gold filigree watch you know it's just shiny and it's beautiful and it's big and you know it makes your whole it makes your whole outfit and it's weighty right like you feel it on you it was very colorful so she had um two closets full of clothes um and when I left she suddenly had three closets full of clothes um, so and she had this very unique filing system like wear an outfit and then file it in the back so that you're not repeating outfits amazing it's amazing (laughs) um and I'm not surprised about the kind of person I am when I think about that but you know everything is like purples and reds and golds and like just like bold like this is a bold woman in bold colors all the time and her earrings always matched her outfits and um she always wore she only wore um opium the Yves Saint Laurent she wouldn't wear any other fragrance so you know it's just this like and the the smell of that is so specific that I can smell it on any woman that comes by like it's just a because it's just it's strong it's rich like deep smell did she ever give you any fashion advice or other advice um she tried real hard but I didn't listen um she was always trying to get me to cover up <laughs> because she was also a Catholic conservative lady. So she was always trying to get me to like, I don't know. Like, I think she wanted me to dress like a, like someone who shops at Chico's. I'm not a person, no judgment. 
peace and love to all the people who shop at Chico's, but I am not one of those people. But she wanted me to be like covered up and like, don't be too sexy. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about with this. Don't be too sexy. Like, I just want to get dressed. Um, she didn't want, you know, don't have anyone look at your bosoms or, you know, nothing too tight. None of the, nothing. She would. And so she always bought my bras. And so they would be, <laughs> they're the ugliest bras. <laughs> they're like huge and they've got like four hooks and they're like peach colored. <laughs> they're terrible. They're terrible. And I know it's because I would never take my shirt off and let anybody see me wearing this hideous bras and then like giant underpants. And so she's with the seasonals. You buy like baskets, like Valentine, Valentine baskets and Easter baskets. They'd be full of underpants, but they're like huge polyester panties that you would never wear. And I'd be like, I have, I still have some like package because I'm like, oh, now I can't get rid of these. She's dead. But they're huge. And I'm like, no one wears this. They're going to wear this. She just didn't, she didn't want me to be sexy. She didn't want me to be sexy. No. So even as an adult, she sent you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, she tried to, it's funny because you could see as I got older, like, it got a little more flattering. So good, right? Because now I'm a grown-up. But yeah, when I was in the teens, those were some hideous undergarments that she wanted me to wear. And it's just like, no. Wow. But, you know, she didn't want me to get pregnant by someone looking at me. Or, I don't know. I don't know. Do you remember one of those times when she really annoyed you? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, so many times. So many times. I mean, and I and in hindsight, it's, I think it's mostly about like she would, she'd had like she hated my hair. She had such a problem with my hair, and I know that it is. Um, everybody wants their kids to fit in. She did not want me having like this giant afro, which I have varying degrees of, and you've only known me that way, so you'd like you know. There's no other way to know me, but it, it, she was so lackluster about it you know she did the thing which I now do to other people like speaking about things that come out and you're like oh my god I'm doing that thing because she would say to me well if you like it and that made me insane I'm like why don't you like this like why don't you like my expression of natural hair and she just didn't she just didn't if it was if my head was shaved she would say, if that's the way you like it. If my afro was too big, she would be like, let me braid it down for you. You know, it was just, it was, it could, it was never, I think, and I think it's probably most daughters and moms. Like, I never felt like she approved of my appearance. She did not approve of my choice of clothing. She just did not, she just didn't, she just didn't, you know, and she wasn't, and she was never mean about it. She was never going to say anything crazy about it, but she was never going to, give me a compliment you know and that always made me feel a little bit crazy like why don't you everyone else loves my bald head why don't you love it you know or everyone else loves this outfit what's wrong you know why don't you like it um so that was always really drove me a little bit crazy or one time she said to me she'd always be like 
my daughter is the prettiest, the prettiest girl, except for Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams is the only person prettier than you. <laughs> like, really? Like, does that need a caveat? Vanessa Williams, former Miss USA. Got it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Thank you. I remember one time we were doing like a late night drive. My family loved to do like late night car rides and stuff. Um, but she would, one time we were doing something and she said, if I hadn't, if I hadn't have been married, I would have, you know, traveled or I would have invested in, you know, stocks and bonds or whatever. I don't know. Things like that. Like she would always sort of share a little bit, like if I hadn't been married, this is what I would have done. And I feel like sometimes my life is maybe what I would have, what she would have done if she hadn't have been married. You know, um, every time I went overseas, she'd be like super excited, like, you're going to Hong Kong? Oh my God, yay! Like she'd cheer on the phone, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, whenever I get a new job, she'd be like, "Ooh, we got a new job!" You know, it's just like all the things that I, you know, that I am able to do um, as a single lady. She was always pretty celebratory of. She had one moment when I was like 25, where she's she's like, "Who's going to take care of you? Who, you know, you're single, and who's going to take care of you?" and I had never heard her say anything like that to me before, so I was like, I'm going to take care of me. But then she called me the next day to be like, I'm sorry that I did that. You're a capable, successful person. You're going to be fine. That was the only time I remember her sort of giving me that, why can't you find a man or why aren't you having babies? That was the only time. And I am internally grateful for that because I know that a lot of people get that pressure that is unwanted and unneeded and she never gave that to me except for that one breakdown (laughs) um she was always happiest when she was dancing my parents would have these big parties and you know they would they found every latin american person they could find in their town and so they had all these friends and um they would have these big parties where they would move the furniture and have like salsa parties that was always fun. She was always having like the best time ever dancing and like feeding people and um, just having a good time, having the drinks, having the dancing in the house, you know. And then uh, it, she, she never to me seemed like unhappy about very many things. She was always just like pretty happy. Um, she was happy when she was making food that everybody liked. Like all of our holidays were at our house so that she could cook and that she could be feeding people, um, which is very much what I do now, except for not at my house. I'm like, ooh, what can I bring? I want to bring all the things. Um, and, uh, my mom always sent um, seasonals. So I love seasonals. Like I love buying like, oh, it's Christmas. Let me get every Christmas towel. Oh, it's Halloween. Let me get every pumpkin plate. Um, and she would send, she sends like, she would send seasonal greetings to people, not just Christmas greetings, but like Easter cards and all that sort of stuff. So like everything felt like, oh, it's time to do something fun. Cause it's Valentine's day, you know? So, um, she loved Christmas. She loved Christmas music, but she loved like Barbra Streisand, especially the Barbra Streisand Christmas album, which I own cause it's just Barbara in like a black background and like glowing white. So I listened to a lot of that Christmas album growing up, and I think I know it by heart. Or, you know, Johnny Mathis or Neil Diamond or any other sort of classic Nat King Cole Christmas. So we always had, you know, the tree goes up after Thanksgiving. She had a huge list of who she sent Christmas cards to. It was like 200 people. 
she wrote the Christmas letter. Um, yeah, and so then we would always be making cookies or cakes or she made fruit cake and not like the gross American kind, but like marinated fruits and rum all year long and then these big cakes and she would make eggnog a month before and like let it ferment in the garage with rum and spices and like so it was just always a big deal she didn't really have like a firm belief of hell she thought hell was on earth like and so if and a heavy belief in karma um which i have as well um yeah she was always the nicest person like she knew everybody in a room or a space she knew all the nail ladies at the nail salon she knew the people at the grocery store she knew the homeless person on the corner she knew all the mailmen and women like I remember when my dad had to tell the mailman that my mom died the mailman started crying I was like oh my god okay like (laughs) she just knows everybody and she just was really uh, wonderful. And so, like, uh, to me, that is her spirituality. Like, you know, just being, like, being the person you want to be in the world and how you want other people to be. Um. And then my phone rings at 3 in the morning, and my dad was like, you know, your mom has had two cardiac arrests. Um, I think you should come home now. And so I, you know, I called a couple of people. I called my friend Fonz, who I knew his phone was always on. And he picked me up at five in the morning and took me to the airport. Um, And then I, I got home and she, I mean, she was essentially dead. They had left her on the ventilator so that I could see her. Um... And that, and that was it. So I, on my way there, I, you know, called my cousins and my cousin Jamal lives in Albuquerque still. And he's like, well, I'll just sit with her till you get here. So he sat with her for hours until I got there. Um, yeah. And that, and that was, that was it. Just like that. Yes. Just like that. And she had had, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, which I now know, um, attacks all of your muscles including your heart and your lungs and it had been eating away at her heart and her lungs for a few years and nobody knew they thought she had asthma um yeah and so that was that was it her heart just gave out there was like a stream of humanity like i've i I know that my mom had a lot of friends. I did not realize the magnitude of humans that would be in the room from like all generations of places, of places that she had been. And um, there was a guy from her second grade class who was like, oh, I was new to school and nobody would sit by me. And she let her sit by me. Which was really lovely. Mm -hmm. All these people. And then like young people, people in their 20s who were like, oh yeah, yeah, with your mom at church or whatever. Like, you know, her hair lady came who like has been her hairstylist forever. And, um, I went to school with her daughter and her daughter came and, um, all these Albuquerque friends who I don't know how they found out and like came and then my sorority sisters came and it was just a big, um, outpouring of, of people. I was really, um, uh, taken aback by it in a good way, but because, um, 
when I was running, when I lost my campaign and um, before I thought I wanted to come home, which was like in April, but in November, um, my mom couldn't come because she had had knee replacement surgery, so she couldn't fly. And she called me the week after my dad had already gone home and he, she said, well, you know, your dad just had all these amazing things to say about your life and all these people that are around you and, and how open you are and, you know, just like all these really wonderful things that you want your parents to see about you and know about you and say about you. And I remember her saying like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you turned out that way. She's like, cause I don't think we're that way. And you're just, you're, I don't know. You're just special. I don't, I don't know. I just thought, well, you know, you're that way, but you know, it was just very, very sweet. I needed to hear that from my mom after feeling beaten up a little bit. So when I was at that, that service, I was like, this is why I'm this way. Look at all of these people, you know, like you are that person. You don't know you're that person, but you are that person. And so, um, that was really the power of that. Like, again, like I still land in a space where I'm just like super grateful that I had this woman like modeling life for me in just this very exceptional way um, with all these exceptional people that were delightful. And in the moment, I couldn't tell any of them that because I still was just sort of like, tell me where the coffee is because I don't really want to talk to any of you. Um, but, it, you know, now I, I wish I could tell them all like, you're so lucky. <laughs> We're so we're all lucky. Let's be lucky together and talk about it. Um, here's her photo. Do you want to describe it for me? So this is, oh gosh, I want to say she's like late 40s. I think she was taking like a professional shot for work. Um, but yeah, she's got her, see her short curly hair. She always had glasses, very colorful shirts, necklace, like big hoop earrings. Like she's just definitely got all of the, the things going. Mm-hmm. But my favorite one is on the wall. I can put this down. Is over here. Of in the car. When we're just in the car. Mostly again, it's the style. The green polka dots give me all the life and the dark sunglasses and the ring. And then she's dressed me and I've got curls and stripes and um, the yeah, the fashion in this photo makes me happy with the red car. It's a lot of style. You're like in the passenger seat, mm-hmm. and do you know how old you are there? I'm probably one or two. Sitting in her lap, looking out the window. Yeah. And then- that was Carol Collymore talking about her mom, Julia. Julia was born July 22, 1946 and she died January 22, 2014. This is the Who Died Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would very much appreciate it if you could rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people find the show and build our community of remembrance. If you want to talk to me about your dead person, shoot me a message at whodiedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. She would always say, uh, not all babies are cute and not all brides are beautiful. <laughs> and I find myself watching, like, say yes to the dress and I'm like, ugh, not all brides are beautiful. Like, <laughs> it's just terrible.
terrible things. It just, you know. Thanks for listening.